everybody, welcome to the Export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I know is probably already rocking John Morant's All Star jersey. How you doing today, Ethan? Oh, yeah, I forgot you said you couldn't get one at the forum because they were sold out. Yeah, what you said. It is, but don't worry. Jai will definitely be a more all-star game, so you'll definitely be able to build up your collection. We got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to look at the current state of some of the top quarterbacks in the quarterback carousel and try to figure out where they fall ahead of free agency. We're also going to look at the NBA, and we are going to discuss the – the idea of LeBron James sticking it out to play with Bronny and if that helps or hurts his son. And then we're going to close out the show with my recap of Elimination Chamber. But before we get to any of that, please sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So as I mentioned um, last week, I came out with my first mock draft. So be sure to look at that. I'm sure my next one will come out either around the time of free agency or a little after the combine, which is next week. Either way, it's on the come up. So be sure to look out for that. But all right, let's go ahead to some league news. In the midst of former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL for racial discrimination following his um, firing from the Miami Dolphins, he was just hired by the Steelers to serve as their senior defensive assistant and linebackers coach. While his lawsuit against the NFL is still going on, um, Ethan, just talk to me about your feelings about this signing because I think it's a great signing. And what do you think it's going to mean for Flores and the rest of the league? I agree. I think that while with the current backlash and everything and all the head coaching positions being filled, um, it was clear that I wasn't sure if Brian Flores was going to work in the NFL again this season. Maybe sometime down the line after they got the lawsuit worked out. But I'm happy that not only does he have a job, but he's also in a position where he can shine. As you mentioned, the Steelers defense last year definitely played in a way that we weren't used to seeing, especially with regards to stopping the run. And Brian Flores is known for being a defensive-minded coach from his time in New England before joining the Dolphins. So I think that he can really help get this group into tip-top shape. And I think that as the lawsuit continues to go on and they begin to kind of sort things out, I think that he will be able to be a head coach in this league again because he was a great coach. But kind of speaking on, you know, being a great coach, um, he mentioned in an interview that the owner of the Dolphins had offered him over millions of dollars to sign an NDA to not discuss his time with the Dolphins. And I know he, of course, the Dolphins are trying to deny that they wanted um, Flores to tank and they didn't want him to succeed. But what are your feelings on all that? I think I'm on the side of Flores. I do think that the Dolphins really were trying to tank and were willing to pay extra money to do so. I don't think that Flores is just kind of pulling this out of his behind. coming out. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, I mean, his firing was one of the most shocking that we had seen out of the other head coaching vacancy. So it was absolutely a shock to see him leave. And for Hugh Jackson, I mean, also look at the roster that he had in Cleveland because he was their head coach when they went 0-16. And, and I believe it was um, Devin McCourty – no, Jason McCourty, I'm sorry, who was on that team, who even said this was not a team that was built to win games. And I think that – Unlike, you know, what the Dolphins had, though their roster may not be one of the best in the league, Brian Flores really played a big role in them helping to win games. So I'm hoping that things open up for them. But speaking about struggling to win games, Lovey Smith, now the new head coach of the uh, Houston Texans, a move that we both liked and, in fact, you said was your favorite head coaching signing, was pretty confident in his team and said, we won four games this year. The Bengals won four games the year before, and this was a big year for them. We don't have to wonder. We just saw a team do it. Someone's going to make that jump. Someone always does. Why not us? So I'm not going to waste your time and ask you if we if you think that the Texans are going to jump to the Super Bowl. But realistically, I mean, the Texans have a lot of issues. So what do you think it's even going to take for the Texans to become competitive, nonetheless become a playoff team? Yeah, I agree. I mean, truthfully, the only players of repute that you will really look at are Deshaun Watson, but it's clear that he's going to be on his way out at some point. Brandon Cooks, who also could be leaving. Um, and then Laramie Tunsil, another guy who could be on his way out as well. I think that realistically the Texans are a team that are trying to rebuild from the bottom up. And I think that while Lovey Smith was a good hire, and I think that he could be a really good inspirational uh, player, I mean coach for these younger guys and whoever they decide to bring in. But it's going to take a lot of work for them to really remake this team. But I would say that in trading Deshaun Watson, that would play a really big role in them being able to, you know, bring in talent and quality talent especially if they are able to get those first round picks but speaking of Deshaun Watson let's go ahead and look at that quarterback carousel I mean as we all know Deshaun Watson not going to be in Houston, uh, Houston Texan um, hopefully in the next couple of months of course there are so many teams that could use an upgrade of, at quarterback and the Texans know that, and so they don't plan on lessening Deshaun Watson's asking price, which has been five to seven assets, including three first-round picks. Um, Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause in his contract where he could waive it potentially for a team. So we've had other teams bounced around. I've heard the Bucks. you know, both of us have heard the Vikings, possibly maybe Carolina, maybe the Giants. Ethan, in your opinion, right now, what seems like the best fit for Deshaun Watson? The Minnesota Thank you. 
Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I think that the Bucks are definitely a glamorous option. I mean, especially looking on the kind of the defensive side of the ball, like we know that they're front seven, even though they do have some impending free agents, I think they're going to be able to clear that up. And plus they were just in the Super Bowl a year ago. So that may be enticing, but truthfully, I agree with you with regards to the Vikings. I think that's the better overall fit. I mean, the potential of Dalvin Cook is, is there. Justin Jefferson has really cemented himself as a top receiver despite just playing in two years. Um, Adam Thielen, of course, and they have a really solid offensive line. I think that if they are able to pull the trigger and get a player like Deshaun Watson, it makes them a playoff team for sure. And then if they're able to kind of work on some issues on their defense with regards to corner and making sure that they can keep Daniil Hunter happy um, so he can continue to be their lead pass rusher, I think the Vikings could really do some damage. And plus, you get to stay in a um, in a indoor stadium. You don't have to worry about dealing with the elements. And I mean, for any quarterback, that's always going to be a plus. So I, I'm in agreement with you. I think the Vi- Vikings will be the best fit. All right. So this now is a question of which one is more likely. And we're going to talk about Russell Wilson, even though he said multiple times that he wants to stay in Seattle, that doesn't mean journalists aren't going to fantasize about him leaving. So here's one Here's the first one, and it comes from Mike Tannenbaum from Get Up on ESPN, who said, you can't overpay greatness. I'd get Russell Wilson with Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt, and all those stars, and then we have a chance to go win a Super Bowl. The second quote was from uh, Pro Football Focus's Doug Kyatt, who said, the Eagles could be the 2022 version of the Rams if they trade for Russell Wilson this offseason. So which one do you think is more likely the Eagles could be this upcoming season version of the Rams with Russell Wilson, or the Steelers would win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. I'm going with the Steelers winning the Super Bowl because I think that the Steelers they had uh, they had other pieces in place that could that I feel like could make them a championship caliber team once you add a good quarterback. Like they brought in Najee Harris as a rookie, he showed. He Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool, yes. And even though their defense wasn't to the same caliber that they were in the years past, they still have pieces on their defense that can make plays, especially when you bring in um, a guy like Brian Flores who could probably coach those guys up in their respect to them. So I'm gonna, I got to go with that, um, with that take. I agree, especially because while the Eagles – of course, it'd be a major upgrade at wide. Res- I mean, at quarterback, you gotta look at their receiver position. They don't have a Cooper Cup. They don't have an Odell Beckham Jr. They don't have a um, Robert Woods. Devontae Johnson, I mean, Devontae Smith has shown flashes, but even still, he's not necessarily a finished product. They also don't have the defensive stars that the Rams have. They don't have an Aaron Donald. Fletcher Cox is great, but who's to say Fletcher Cox is going to be playing too much longer? They don't have a Von Miller. Um, Darius Slay played a great season, but really, that's about it. I think that the Eagles have too many holes to be considered the twenty, the next Rams because they don't have the stars that the Rams have. Whereas on the Steelers' side, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, they already have pretty good pieces in place the only issues were their offensive line um and Big Ben you could tell was older he wasn't able to make the same plays that he had been before um I think that in bringing in Russell Wilson not only is that going to make uh Pittsburgh a much better looking free agent destination but also they're going to be competitive I mean hell they were a playoff team this year say what you want about how they got there but they still made the playoffs with the pieces that they had so you get Russell Wilson in there and I think that you get even further. But speaking of another playoff team, the Green Bay Packers, I mean, we keep hearing that soon Aaron Rodgers will make a decision, soon this, soon that, but there's nothing really set in stone. But what seems to be set in stone already is that the Packers really don't have that much trust in Jordan Love. Um, Reportedly, the Packers are trying to shop Jordan Love, but the harsh reality is not many teams are really willing to go after him because he hasn't really done much. So, Ethan, in your opinion, do you think that Jordan Love's time as the Green Bay Packers' potential starting quarterback is over, even if Aaron Rodgers leaves? Trigger on 
I think that one, if I'm Jordan Love, my confidence is kind of shot because Aaron Rodgers is an all-time great. Don't get me wrong, but it's like there seems to be no faith in Jordan Love whatsoever. Because if they had any faith, they would not continue to bang the drum about how bad they want to keep Aaron Rodgers. And in the one game that we saw Jordan Love start, it wasn't that inspiring. And But I think he still deserves at least a shot somewhere, even if it is like one thing I saw was potentially the Atlanta Falcons going for him, you know, so he could be the heir apparent for um, Matt Ryan, who we know he's going to be retiring at some point or probably just be moved from Atlanta altogether. And so because of that, I could see that happening. But in Green Bay, I just – I don't think so. Like, worst case scenario, they actually do lose Aaron Rodgers, whether to retirement or they actually decide to trade him. And then Jordan Love is going to be fighting for a backup position against somebody. Who's to say, like, for example, if the trade with um, the trade actually happens with Denver, who's to say that Denver won't throw Drew Locke into the mix? And then it's Drew Locke and Jordan Love competing for a spot. Or they'll try to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I believe is a free agent, if he decides not to retire. I mean, it's just so many different ways that I could see things going in Green Bay, but I don't really see an outcome where Jordan Love is the starter. But moving on to another backup who could potentially be the starter, Blaine Gabbert, who Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians seemed pretty confident on it, said people may not like the overall record, but Blaine had eight head coaches, eight coordinators his first eight years. Gabbert has never played with a team this good. Are you really believing that Blaine Gabbert could be the next quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? And if so, does he get them back to the playoffs? on that um I think that if worse comes to worse he may end up being the starter just because if they can't get guys like of course you don't want to go from Tom Brady to Blaine Gabbard if you don't have to no disrespect to Blaine Gabbard but that's a pretty big drop off so if they can't get a quality player like a Deshaun Watson maybe even try to go after a Jimmy G um, or someone at least of that caliber, I could see them probably going the Blaine Gabber route as a way to kind of avoid this year's upcoming draft just because it's not many great quarterbacks or at least ones that you have a lot of trust in. So with that being said, I could, I could, like you said, I could see for this year if all else fails. But with them going to the playoffs, I think that honestly the NFC South is a bit – it's hard to really gauge. Like I don't love – the quarterback situations for any of the teams there. And so, I mean, it is kind of wide open. So potentially they could make it at nine and eight or maybe eight and nine, depending on how things shake out. But all right, last question. Um, and we are going to talk about the Carolina Panthers a bit. So um, new Vikings head coach Kevin McConnell already expressed that he wants to run the offense through quarterback Kirk Cousins. However, Kirk Cousins is not willing to take a pay cut. I believe he's slated to make like $45 million, something ridiculous um, this upcoming season. And let's be honest, um, it doesn't seem like the Vikings are that excited to pay him. The Vikings could go the route of giving him a contract extension that would pay him more than $40 million a year, or they could trade him, which apparently the Carolina Panthers did make a call about um, Cousins earlier this week. So do you see Kirk Cousins remaining the Vikings quarterback this season, even if he decides not to take a pay cut, or do you think he's going to be gone?
Yeah, I agree with you. Um, him not taking a pay cut will definitely be a big blow, especially because the Vikings have so many other needs on the defensive side of the ball that I'm sure they're going to want to use that money towards improving there. And if Kirk Cousins isn't trying to do so, I could definitely see him being moved. But like I said, the assets have to be there. You have to at least have a plan in place. If you are going to move on from him, you have to know that you're getting an upgrade. Because we we talk a lot of crap about Kirk Cousins, uh, everybody does, but it could be way worse than Kirk Cousins. You, you could have a much worse quarterback under center. And I think that that's something that the Vikings are aware of. But, all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting with my main man, Odell Beckham Jr., who, unfortunately, after a quality quarter and a half um, of the Super Bowl, ended up tearing his ACL again the second time in less than two years. But Odell put out a statement in saying that he was going to come back better than ever. ever. He said, I was ready to go nuclear and perform at the highest level that I ever had in my career. I knew it and I felt it in my soul. I'm going to be back better than ever before. I mean that shit from the bottom of my heart. As much as I'm excited to see Odell coming back, it does not seem like everyone has that same confidence. In fact, um, hold on. Open. Uh, Nick Wright spoke on um, Odell Beckham on First Things First and said he thinks that Odell Beckham should retire. Believable or buffoonery, Odell Beckham Jr. should call it a career after suffering another ACL tear. Yeah, I could see that as well. I think that if he's able to come back, which I think he will be, he probably just won't be till like towards the end of the year, unfortunately. I do think that, one, Odell's going to have a market. There are going to be teams that want to sign him. More specifically, I could definitely see the um, Rams signing him to the veterans minimum just because they saw how much better their offense was with him in tow. And then you also have to take into account Robert Woods is also coming off of ACL tear. So you want to have as much talent as you can get just in case, God forbid, someone gets hurt. And so because of that, I do think that Odell is going to be back. Like you mentioned, he may have to change his play style a bit. But, I mean, if he still has that explosiveness to him, then I think that you kind of have to use it. You have to use it to your advantage. But you mentioned Jarvis Landry, and Jarvis Landry was a big talking point this week. Um, after discussing, call, essentially calling out the Cleveland Browns, um, on Twitter, he said, reality behind all this is I came back to play in the best shape of my life. I got hurt two, week two with a high-grade MCL sprain, partial quad tear, and bone bruise. Then came back way too early and ended up staying hurt the entire season. You never heard me mention anything about it. Also, my media availability didn't happen because I was focused on getting on the field as healthy as possible during the week and after games. A strategic plan was set in place to be followed. I put the ball in Cleveland's court by telling them I would like to stay but if not then I would have to put the ball uh, blah, blah. yeah but then if not then I'm confident enough in myself to be a better healthy me this year and moving forward to helping do my part in winning a championship elsewhere my friend Malik and I who is a Browns fan have talked a lot about the future of Jarvis but believable or buffoonery Jarvis Landry will be a Cleveland Brown next season Like we've talked about numerous of teams. 
I agree. And then also, he's slated to make $15 million this year. If he were to be cut, the Browns would save $15 million. Or they could ask him to take a pay cut, but who's to say he would want to take a pay cut in the first place? I mean, he had moments this past year where he mentioned the same kind of frustrations with Baker Mayfield that, you know, Odell's dad mentioned. Like, he felt like he wasn't really getting targeted. He didn't feel like he was really being used in the offense in the way that he had been he had gotten used to. And so because of that, I think that on to adding that frustration, then you see your best friend go off to a better team that has an established quarterback and go win a Super Bowl. That's going to be very hard to pass up, especially because, let's be honest, the Browns are not a Super Bowl-caliber team right now, and they're a fringe wild-card team. They still have a lot of work to do, and it really starts with Baker Mayfield. And as a wide receiver, do you really want to come up, stay on a team where you don't know if the quarterback is really going to help you get where you need to be? And so with that being said, no, I don't think he's going to be a Cleveland Brown. I just think it's a matter of where he ends up because I feel like he's probably going to try to follow the same Odell formula of just going somewhere that has an established quarterback and then going from there. But all right, last question before we move on to the NBA. Um, This upcoming free agent class is going to be a pretty good one. One of the best players available is cornerback J.C. Jackson for the New England Patriots. He spoke on his upcoming free agency and the relationship and conversations he's had with the uh, Patriots and said, I guess the Patriots feel like they don't need me. I guess I can't be that important to them. I know I am, but they're not showing me. So, believable or buffoonery, the Patriots are making a mistake not prioritizing J.C. Jackson. I agree, and especially, it'd be different if they still had Stephon Gilmore in tow, but they don't. So pretty much you're going to have to completely remake your cornerback group if you let J.C. Jackson walk. And, I mean, we are talking about the Patriots here who have made no bones about having an issue of letting anybody walk out the building. But I think that J.C. Jackson is one of those players who, especially kind of in this new age Patriots look, that they need to have in their secondary. Devin McCourty, he's kind of losing a step, so you know your safeties aren't as strong as they normally are. Looking at the rest of their cornerback roster, who do you really anticipate stepping up into that bigger role? Um, their front is fine. Madjudon had a really good year. Linebacker has some questions. Just I think there are way too many questions in place to to let JC walk. I know he's gonna come with the big price tag, but I mean I think he's worth it. I mean, truthfully, I know we talk about the ball hawking corners and Trayvon Diggs got a lot of pop for getting 11 picks this year. That's great. But J.C. Jackson, he gets picks, and he's also very good in coverage. In my opinion, at worst, he's a top 10 cornerback in this league. And I just, with how hard it is to find quality cornerbacks, I don't know if it's worth risking him walking out the door. So I agree with you. I think that I I wouldn't let him walk. I think they're making a mistake. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA all-Star weekend was just this past weekend. So, Ethan, what would you say were your top three takeaways from the All-Star break? Top three takeaways are um, Steph Curry is a freak of nature. Like, that performance that he did, especially in the second half of the All-Star game, um, that was amazing. Um, number two, I think they need to reformat the dunk contest. And, the, and what I mean by reformat the dunk contest is is they need to penalize the contestants if they miss their dunks. Right. Because, like, I didn't watch it, 
Did he score like six points, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. Um, and I think all his points were from dunks, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but, yeah, no, I feel you on that. All right, let's talk our Mamba Players of the Week, which really comes down to, like I said, All-Star Weekend and then the small sample size that we got uh, from last night's game. So, out of the Eastern Conference, my Mamba is going to be DeMar DeRozan. Pretty much a repeat of last week. I mean, last night's performance really just – showed why he is one of the best players in basketball this season. I mean, helped pull out the win over the Hawks, had a tremendous game, dropping 37 points, six rebounds, three assists. Um, I just, I mean, with at this point, DeMar just can't seem to really do much wrong. So he's my Mamba of the East. Yeah, I'm also riding with DeMar as well. Like you said, the 37 points, six, um, six rebounds, three assists. And he also hit the game winner again. So... All right, let's move on to the Western Mamba of the Week. While I know that Steph Curry won the All-Star Game MVP, and rightfully so, he had, what, 15, 16 three-pointers, that cannot be ignored. But when you think of the Mamba, you think of clutch, you think of game winners, and LeBron James did hit the game-winning shot to get his team the win during the All-Star Game. So I got to go with LeBron. Can't go wrong with that. And then moving on to our rookie mom of the week, I'm going to show some love to uh, Cade Cunningham, who was the Rising Stars game MVP, and then last night helped lead his team to a win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, dropped 17 points, 6-6-6 boards. Not a bad night. Well, not a bad few games for Cade Cunningham. All right, let's go ahead and move on and look at some of the injuries that have taken place. First things first, speaking of the Cavaliers, um, it is apparent that Karis LeVert, who they acquired uh, recently, is going to be out for at least the next two weeks with a sprained right foot. And then, unfortunately, for the Phoenix Suns, um, Chris Paul is going to be out for the next six to eight weeks with the right thumb avulsion fracture. Um, so he's going to be out for a significant amount of time. And as we all know, the Suns have been playing great this season. They're the top seed in the Western Conference. How does losing CP3 affect the team? And then looking at the options of Alfred Payton, Cameron Payne, Aaron Holiday, who's really going to step up in his role? Because right now they're 49 and 10. The Warriors are 43 17. Uh, Grizzlies 41 20. Yeah, and worst comes to worst, I think they still find a way to be within the top three seeds in the West. I don't think, like you mentioned, I don't think it's going to be too much of a drop-off 
um, without Chris Paul there. Of course, you're going to miss his veteran leadership and just the way that he's able to maneuver the court and just his ball savvy. But because of that, it's like, unfortunately, he's not going to be there. But he's had injuries throughout his time in the Suns with the Suns. So because of that, I don't think that they're going to be too beat up about just because they know what to expect. Like Chris Paul is great, but he's getting a bit up there in age. So injuries have become a bit of a common thing for him. So I think that the Suns and Monty Williams will be able to put out a game plan on a nightly basis to be able to cover up the fact that he's out of action. But speaking of another player who's going to be out of action, um, after some a weird season for Kimball Walker and the New York Knicks. They decided to shut things down for the season, and they came to an agreement, which meant that Walker will sit out the rest of the year. When he played, uh, the Knicks went 16 and 21. When he hasn't played, the Knicks went nine and three, nine. I mean, nine and 13. Just Ethan, just talk to me. What are your feelings about this Knicks and Kimba situation? What do you feel like went wrong? Where do they go from here? All that good stuff. I could see that happening because looking at what the Knicks the Knicks roster right now, I mean, who really would you be able to package to New Orleans to make it enticing enough to want make them want to trade Zion, which is kind of a tough sell already. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, it sucks because we'd see games where Kimball looked like he was the man and looked like that he was kind of back where he was, and then other games where he just wasn't there. And it kind of sucks because I like Kimba and I was hoping that this would be a good situation for him. But I think that the Knicks have a lot more fundamental issues that we don't really talk about just because, I mean, they made the playoffs for the first time in a long time last season. So it was just became the expectation for them to be a playoff team. But right now, I don't know if they really have the talent to exactly warrant that. But I agree with you. I think that, truthfully, Dame would definitely be a name um, and a player that I'd be trying to get because, I mean, point guard is a incredibly important position. And like you mentioned, Julius Randle is fine, but I don't think that they're going to be where they want to be with Julius Randle being their best player. No disrespect to him, but it's just – I don't know. And I think that this offseason they really have to make a priority to try to bring in stars because you're seeing the other, you know, New York team, the Nets are bringing in stars, but the Knicks who are supposed to be the quote-unquote real New York team – just have not been able to do the same thing. So I think that in free agency, they have to be big players and they have to be aggressive in order for those things to happen. But let's go ahead and look at some uh, league signings. The Milwaukee Bucks signed guard Javon Carter and Goran Drogic after being bought out uh, out of his contract with the Spurs has signed with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Ethan, how are you feeling about Goran Drogic heading to the Nets? Be 
situations to where you can bring Gordon off the bench and maybe start him alongside, I mean, play him alongside Kyrie Irving and KD. And you can have a, you can quintessentially have like a similar depth lineup for the Warriors. Like days, like on the days past, where you might have, um, you know, you might have KD and Ben Simmons at the four and the five. You have Steph or Joe Harris at the three. Then you have Lauren Jarge at the two and Kyrie at the one, or vice versa. And I think that's an interesting lineup and it's something that you can really, that can be utilized to great success. So I think it's a good sign. Yeah, I agree, especially with the injuries, you know, that have taken place with Kevin Durant, and then you don't know when you're actually going to get Ben Simmons, and then, of course, the kind of situation with Kyrie Irving. And so I think the more offensive help that you can get, the better. And Goran Dragic is definitely one of those guys who can help produce that for you. And he's a really solid scorer, and that, that kind of gives you just more of a veteran presence on the team to kind of help coach up guys like Cam Thomas, who has shown a lot of potential. So I like this signing a lot, and I think that it could really do wonders for them, especially once they finally get healthy. But all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. It's no secret, Joel Embiid is probably one of your favorite, not probably, is top three your favorite players in the NBA right now. And it seems like more and more people are jumping on the bandwagon. Most recently, Kendrick Perkins said, Joel Embiid's the best player in the game of basketball. Vakeem Olajuwon and Kevin Durant had a baby. Guess what? It will be Joel Embiid that came out. So, believable or buffoonery, Joel Embiid is the best player in the league right now. Yeah, I find him believable as well, especially because, I mean, just the way that he's able to do so many different things and at his size, you can tell he's continuing to learn and grow to be better overall. Like, of course, we talk about guys like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and LeBron, but I think that Joel Embiid is kind of in that, not necessarily the old generation, not exactly like the new generation, but I think he's a nice blend of what makes those guys special, uh, besides, of course, Steph's three-point shooting. But, yeah, I, I find it believable as well. All right, moving on. We always hear the discussion of which players could play in what era, blah, blah, blah. Well, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the latest player to have his name included in that conversation. Uh, Tracy McGrady said this of uh, Antetokounmpo and said, I think he would have struggled because of how closed up the paint was. It was tough offensively because the defense was so great. If you can't shoot, it's going to be hard. Believable or buffoonery, Giannis Antetokounmpo would have struggled if he would be in the NBA in the 2000s. I call buffoonery. Yeah, I call buffoonery as well. I mean, the only time I feel like he would struggle is because you would play against a team with this called the Lakers and they had Shaquille O'Neal sitting in the paint. Right. The only time Giannis actually did struggle in this current version of the NBA is when they play the 76ers and they put Joel Embiid on him because he has, he's bigger than Giannis and he's not as mobile, but he's mobile enough to keep up with Giannis. And I think you could duplicate that with Shaq. But, I mean, when you think about it, Giannis would be the second most dominant force in the NBA in the 2000s. Obviously, it's Shaq. But then right behind Shaq, it would be Giannis. So, I'm going to say McCormick. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like Shaq was just shooting all up over the court. I mean, his most of his dirty work came from the paint, and he did so in a way, as you mentioned, that was incredibly dominant. And Giannis does similar things to it, and he's I would say he's a bit more athletic than Shaq is. So with that being said, no, nah, I'm calling buffoonery. All right, uh, mentioning Kyrie Irving, it seems like New York is planning to phase out the employee vaccine mandate, which would allow Kyrie Irving to play home games. Uh, New York's mayor, Ad Eric Adams, implied today that he will soon announce a plan to phase out the city's employee vaccine mandate, which would allow Brooklyn Nets point guard Kyrie Irving to play home games. Other cities have lodged a similar mandate for employees, and Adams said in an announcement that the end date of the mandate could be coming 
coming within the next few days. The Nets made the decision in October to disallow Kyrie from playing at all as long as he was able to be full-time. So, believable or buffoonery, if um, if Kyrie Irving is able to play full-time, the Nets are NBA Finals bound. Yeah, I say buffoonery as well because don't get me wrong, they're the eighth seed. By the time the like playoffs roll around, they get back healthy, they're going to be a much higher seed. But I just think it's too early to really – honestly, I feel like the East is kind of wide open. Like there are teams that are great, but they still have their fundamental flaws. Like I love Jimmy Butler, and I'm excited to see what the Heat can do, and they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. But I don't think anybody is saying they're definitely going to the finals. The Bucks not definitely going. The 76ers are a team that I don't also see definitely going. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. I think that it'll definitely be a big boost having Kyrie back full time, but I don't think it's just the end-all, be-all for other Eastern teams. All right, moving on to the Big Easy. We got to talk about um, Zion Williamson, who honestly has been caught a bit of flack. Um, His former teammate, um, J.J. Redick, pretty much um, called out his behavior since C.J. McCollum was traded there and pretty much said that it's being detrimental to the team. He said, this is a little bit insane to me. There's a general decorum of behavior that you should apply as a teammate. This is a pattern of behavior with Zion that we are seeing again and again. And look, I was his teammate. I can describe him as a detached teammate. That is an accurate statement. This is the basic level of humanity being a teammate. Send a text to a guy when he gets traded to your team. That is just normal behavior. That's the bare minimum you have to do cj mccullum kind of stepped up for williamson and said uh leave the young fell alone he's trying to rehab in peace trying to get himself ready to come back we spoke and i'll speak to him later this week or next week and he added he'll be healthy eventually and he'll be welcomed back with open arms so believable or buffoonery zion williamson is doing more harm than good to the pelicans right now Yeah, yeah, I say believable. I mean, while I think that JJ went a bit hard on him with regards to it, with regards to him just kind of calling him out for not texting CJ. Of course, you should probably say something, but it's still like you can tell Zion doesn't want to be there. And because every with every passing week, it's more and more apparent that he doesn't want to be there. I think that his behavior is just starting to reflect that. And so I think that if you're the Pelicans, it's just like he's not, whenever it comes time to go to free agency, he's not going to want to stay. As you mentioned, you're trying to bring in people who, you're trying to bring in people to make him want to stay, but it's just not happening. So honestly, I'm not saying just cut him or anything like that, but I do think he is doing more harm than good. But all right, last question before we make our game picks for tonight. Um, During the All-Star Weekend, LeBron said that my last year will be played with my son. Wherever Bronny is at, that is where I'll be. Um, I would do whatever it takes to play with my son for one year. It's not about money at that point. That sounds great and all, and it'll be a nice little storyline, but some NBA execs believe that Bronny James will be selected uh, as a first-round pick rather than a second-round pick. 
um, just because teams are trying to lure LeBron to them. So, believable or buffoonery, teams are more excited for the idea of signing LeBron James as opposed to drafting Bronny. Something like that. I think he's a junior now. So, yeah. Um, two years from now, we don't know what LeBron James might look like as a basketball player. But if you think about just the way that he stayed on course as being an elite player, if he's able to stay on par for being an elite player for these next two two to three years and being a team draft running, it's definitely something that I think people will be excited about because you have, you're going to bring – it's kind of sounds like a foregone conclusion. You're going to bring LeBron James to your team. Yeah, I think that's the case as well, which I think I think kind of sucks for Bronny because it's like you – me personally, I, I'm pretty sure he'd rather want somebody to draft him just because they see potential in him rather than in the hope that you could also get his dad. And so because of that, I think – I understand what LeBron wants to do, but I think it's kind of not fair because, I mean, you're already going to be in LeBron's shadow just by being his son, but then having to play with him on the same thing team, I think that it makes it even harder. So, yeah, I'm saying believable on that too. I don't I don't love it for Bronny, but I, I think in the end that's what's going to end up happening. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight, starting with the San Antonio Spurs versus the Washington Wizards. I got Spurs. Miami Heat versus the New York Knicks. I got Heat. Los Angeles Clippers versus the Los Angeles Lakers. I got Lakers with the question mark. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Indiana Pacers. I got Pacers. Toronto Raptors versus the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going Raptors. Houston Rockets versus the Orlando Magic. I'm going... I'm going to go Magic, I guess. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I got 76ers. Dallas Mavericks versus the Utah Jazz. I got Jazz. All right, and last but not least, the New Orleans Pelicans versus the Phoenix Suns. I'm going Suns. All right, now let's go ahead and move on to the WWE. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to recap Elimination Chamber 2022. Missed the pre-show, but I think Rey Mysterio won. I don't really know. But move on to the main card. Roman Reigns hopefully ended the appearance of Oldberg after hitting him with the guillotine. Bianca Belair punches her ticket to WrestleMania to finally get her lick back against Becky Lynch. On the one hand, Naomi wins, but then there's Ronda, so I stop really caring. Um, Drew McIntyre gives Madcap, Ma- Madcap Moss the business despite Madcap singing quite intent on breaking his freaking neck. Becky Lynch retains against Lita. The Usos beat the Ray. The Raiders out of their SmackDown tag team title match, which was kind of random, but okay. And Brock Lesnar runs through them all to regain his WWE title. Based off the matches I saw and, you know, with the Viking Raiders thing, I went three and two. So clap, clap to me. My favorite match was the Women's Elimination Chamber. While it was not the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. I think it was a really well-placed match, and I think that everybody who participated was able to get some shine or at least get some bright moments. I mean, if you guys listen to my predictions, I did think that Rhea won, but, I mean, you're never going to hear me complain about Bianca Belair winning a match. Um, Even though I don't think that Alexa Bliss should have eliminated Rhea, really that'd be my only critique, but other than that, it was a pretty solid showing. Um, My favorite moment was Brock Lesnar breaking through the pod to get to Austin Theory. Like, I understand most of this was just like a work, but I just want to know what pissed Brock's off so much about Austin Theory. It's, it was pretty funny. Like, I, I can't say I expected Austin Theory to be the one of the last two competitors in there, but I mean, when you get Brock on a tear like that, I mean, who would anybody else rather see in that match him run through? And I think that Austin Theory is the only feasible option there, and it worked out pretty great. Um and mentioning who I felt like increased their stock easily, Bianca Belair, 
As I mentioned, I mean, she's headed back to WrestleMania. She's going to get her lick back against Becky Lynch, and I'm very excited to see it because I'm not going to lie. That was 23, 27 seconds, whatever. I was really pissed off, and it messed up SummerSlam for me. So now I'm happy to see Bianca get back on top as she should have been the whole time. Um, Decrease stock the Raw male's ro- male roster. I get you want to set up Roman versus Brock and title for title, but it's like, okay, but what about the other talent on the Raw side like I mean you guys you got guys like AJ Styles Seth Rollins Kevin Owens Bobby Lashley is hurt I know but I mean still is he still kind of being the odd man out in this equation unless they're trying to set up a future him versus Roman thing sometime down the line also Damian Priest Finn Balor you guys and that's just a few of the great talents that you guys have and so by making it a title for title match it kind of destroys the chance for them to have that opportunity to really vie for a championship or at least get quote-unquote their Wrestlemania moment I'm sure they'll find a way to get these guys involved but still it just kind of sucks that they this is the route that they're going because I feel like it kind of alienates the rest of the roster. Um, My one booking decision, I wouldn't have had Brock win just to make things kind of interesting. Like, I'm no one's surprised that Brock won, but I feel like in having him lose in some form of fashion, I think that it definitely would have... I think that would have set up more storylines because I feel like you can still have Roman versus Brock without it being title for title. You could have easily had the Usos. I mean, they just came out to beat up the Viking Raiders. Who's to say they won't beat up Brock on his way to the ring and mess that all up? But I guess, I mean, with the Bobby Lashley situation, you can't have two similar things happen at once. But I don't know. I just would have preferred them going the more unpredictable route. Um, My WTF moment was Bobby Lashley's quote-unquote concussion. I mean... You have to write him off of TV somehow. And I understand he had a pre-existing injury before this match, so they just didn't want to exasperate it. I get that. However, I just feel like there was a better way to do it because, like, when Austin Theory got powerbombed into the pod, it's not even like Bobby really took the brunt of the contact. Like, if anything, if you would have told me Austin Theory had a concussion, I believe that more than Bobby. But... I mean, they had to write him off somehow, so it sucks, but I do understand. And overall show grade, I'm going to give it a C. It wasn't the best thing I ever watched in my life, but, I mean, it was better than Royal Rumble, so, you know, there's that. Um, It's just one of those shows that you just have to get through until we get to WrestleMania, which is in, I think, six weeks, probably five weeks by the time you guys listen to this. So I'm excited to see how other things progress, but truthfully, I mean... It's going to be a pretty top-heavy card. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly, and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export for myself, for Big E, for all the lovely sports. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.